Good morning, you're listening to Drinking Socially, the official Untapped podcast. Your weekly look into what's happening in the Untapped community and the world of beer. This episode is brought to you by Untapped and the Untapped store. Use the coupon code PODCAST to get 20% off your next purchase. I'm John, and in this episode, we're bringing Oktoberfest back to the States. And we're going to cover uh, a Vienna lager, which is like a cousin of the Marzen in our BJCP style guideline. And we're also going to talk about Beer 101 at the end of this episode. Cellaring and lagering are the talking points as we near the end of the Beer 101 series on drinking socially. Um, I can't wait to pull back some of the mystery around the bright tank or really just mm. make up for years of being afraid of the cellar as a child. <laughs> so hopefully Harrison can shed some light on the cellar. But anyways, my amazing co-host Harrison is ready to go. He's got a beer. Harrison, what are we drinking on episode 21? Yes. So today we're going to be enjoying Bell's Oktoberfest beer. Uh, which I'm excited to do. So there it is. John's popping the, the top as we speak. Um, so from uh, from the brewery, the uh, Bell's Brewery is making this beer, obviously. It's a Marzen-style uh, beer, 5.5% ABV. And the notes on it uh, from Bell's, crafted as a flavorful session beer, Bell's Oktoberfest is perfect for a lo- uh, week-long wedding celebration in Germany, or the start of a Michigan autumn. As with Bell's Lager Beer, Oktoberfest spends a full six weeks maturing in the fermentation vessels, but unlike its cousin, Oktoberfest trades in the assertive hop presence for a focus on a light caramel note, uh, lending body without too much sweetness. So, um, awesome beer. I love it. I try to grab it every year um, for a lot of reasons, but I'm going to open mine up. John's already done so, though. Have you gotten in there? Has the first sip already happened for you yet, or are you still smelling it? Yeah, no, I, I took I took a dive right in. It's been one of those days, Harrison, where uh, <laughs> where it's hard it's hard to believe drinking is is part of what we do for this podcast. Um, but it's it's also really exciting. I don't even know if that's going to make sense. But this beer, <laughs> first sips, first pour. I mean, the head on this thing. If you're watching oh, on YouTube, the head on man. this thing was amazing. Like really crystal laced. Um, and then, so I, I dove right in, took a big sip. Um, and it's, as Harrison kind of pointed out in the description from bells, I'm going to ride that wave and say that there's not usually a big hop presence in a Mars and not one that I can pick up, but they're not lying. This beer traded any of that in, and it, it tastes like, like a, like a, a caramel biscuit, a caramel cracker, but even there, it's just. It's really well balanced. It's like Oktoberfest light, and I don't say that mm-hmm. is is a, is a drag. I think it's, right. it's great because this beer's I think only available in six pack through Bells, and this would be an easy one to get through before the end of work if you're really trying. What do you think, Harrison? <laughs> yeah, my first sip. Well, um, yeah, I get like biscuit all the way through. That's really what stands out. Um, it is lighter in color than Spotten's from last episode, uh, for sure. It's almost more fest beery in yep. that regard um, yep. than it is Mars in the, uh, if those are <laughs> verbs now or whatever um, <laughs> they are, I guess. Uh, but no, it's delicious. It's This is one of my favorite like college football beers. This is 
It really, I said it last week, I'll say it again though, with this one actually even more so, it's so such a great beer for this time of year because it's crisp, so if it's still hot out and you're grilling something, this works, but if, you know, the sun goes down, it gets a little bit cooler and you're looking for something to reach that, you know, is a little more complex, this also works. So it really is perfect um, for uh, for when it's released every year and I got a six pack as soon as it came out and this is, I think, my last bottle, so... Good thing I didn't didn't uh, stop my or stop myself on Saturday and it went with something different. Yeah, now that the show's on YouTube, it'd be incredibly hard to pretend uh, to drink along, and I wouldn't want you to right. do that. Um, I'm always grateful when we can put a beer on the show that's relatively widely available. Bell's sure. distributes across the states and and overseas. Although if you live in and around Germany, you're probably you're probably yeah. doing fine getting an yeah, exactly right. beer yourself. Yep, exactly. Yeah, you're probably knee deep in all the you know, the breweries we were talking about last week um, with some fantastic fest beer, Oktoberfest uh, options. But yeah, this is one um, that uh, that is distributed all across Bell's footprint, and uh, and yeah. So hopefully you guys can grab some and drink along with us. Ooh la la! Look at this guy. Um, and yeah, I mean, so as John mentioned, we're doing a, another segment. You guys probably caught it last uh, couple episodes where we highlight what the BJCP as it says for the say for these styles. And just did a Marzen last week, um, so I thought we'd kind of John wanted to, to focus on um, one of the uh, cousins, a very similar style uh, of beer to this. Um, and really, actually, I've had um, beers that were called Marzins that were also, that I thought tasted like Vienna lagers, which is what we're going to talk about. I've had Vienna lagers that taste to me like Marzins. You could almost argue that uh, uh, there is sometimes almost no difference between the style, maybe a little bit more bitter, but anyway, John has more information on it right now. So what did you kind of learn this week about the Vienna lager and the Marzin and kind of how they relate to each other, John? I wanted to say uh, really quickly about uh, some of that, I think, being marketing. If you want to sell more Pilsner, call it a dry hopped IPA Pilsner style. (laughs) Um, So, mm, um, but yeah, a a really good point. I think if you're just drinking a Vienna lager next to a Marzen and neither of them are identified, it might be hard to really tell the difference unless that's what you do all day. Um, And if you do, let's work together. Right. But, um, as you brought up, Harrison, this kind of using the uh, BJCP as a guideline to kind of talk about beer styles, I think that's important to both of us uh, with the hope of, you know, educating a little bit ourselves sometimes when we're doing the research and hopefully a little bit yourself when you're listening to it. Um, the point about a Marzen and, an, and, and a Vienna Lager being similar, their cousins maybe literally if beers could be cousins, but um, the BJCP puts Marzins in a category uh, where it's an amber malty European lager and Vienna lagers are in a category where it's amber bitter European lager. So uh, not a huge difference in the categories of them. We're talking not even like the difference between a pizza and a calzone. It's like the difference between Brooklyn style and hand tossed. Um, there you go. So the um, qualifications for a Vienna style lager, uh, 
the real statistics are it has to sit between 18 and 30 IBUs, so not very bitter. There's an SRM that a BJCP judge will look at, which really is just kind of how dark the color is. Um, and these particular Vienna lagers shouldn't be too dark. And an ABV, which uh, alcohol, mm-hmm. it should be between 4.7 and 5.5%, which is actually a little bit lower than some of the uh, Mars yeah. we've seen before as well. Yep. yep. And then the kind of the overall tasting profile you want to experience when you're drinking a Vienna is you'll get a, a moderate strength amber lager, which is it falls right into that category. A little bit of bitterness, but it should finish a little bit more dry. Mm-hmm. And the really the malt flavor, if we look at this in comparison to the Mars and we drank, you're still going to get bready, toasty malt. Um, you'll get maybe not as much of a hop presence in the Vienna lager, but some of that's really subjective. Honestly, the descriptions in these styles are not interchangeable by rule, but really you could get the two confused. One of the firm rules was no specialty malts, um, no Hmm. adjuncts. And I think that carries over to the Marzen as well. More of a traditional style. Uh, For those of you that love playing trivia games, this style was developed by a man named Anton Dreher in Vienna mm-hmm. around the 1800, mid-1800s, and it became popular shortly after. It's the delicious beer style, and then kind of just faded into nothingness. Like, yeah. it wasn't a really commercially popular beer style, the Vienna Lager. And one thing that craft beer can toot its own horn over mm-hmm. is bringing this style back to the forefront. Um and just kind of letting people celebrate uh, an easy drinking, slightly bittered, light amber lager. Uh, And I'm really grateful for it. There's some great commercial examples. I'm sure, Harrison, do you have one off the top of your head? Yeah, I mean, Sam Adams Lager, Boston Lager. I mean, that was that's kind of their whole story and a, a claim to fame of that beer. Just as you said, John, this style was popular, then basically disappeared, and nobody made it until... Uh, Jim and Boston Beer Co. decided to make their flagship this style. And now you you see it often. I just had one from a local brewery uh, flying machine in town here called Benevolence that was amazing. And really, when I drank that beer, my first thought was, oh boy, I can't wait to have their Oktoberfest. Like it's going to be, it's, if they make, this is their Vienna Lager, I can't wait to enjoy uh, their Marzen. So again, similarities there but the boston lager is probably the most well-known one and that is definitely even for the style that's a little bit uh more bitter than you may find a lot of other amber lagers that's kind of become like boston lagers take on the vanna style lager they're known for that as being a little more hop forward uh vanna style lager but as you said it's in that category of uh amber bitter uh european beers so um, I think it still falls probably close to that IB range, but that's easily the, the most well-known one. And there's plenty that have seen that, seen the success and said, well, we can, let's, what's this Amber Lager? What's Vienna Lager all about? And it kind of jumped on, on board. Totally. Another example that comes to mind for me was Devil's Backbone, aptly yeah, named Vienna right, Lager. Sure. Um, and something I'd like, I'd really be curious is to try, you know, you could drink three Vienna lagers and you'll have three totally different beers, depending on who made them, how Mm -hmm. old they are, where you got them. But a Vienna and a Marzen 
and like a Czech amber lager, which mm. I would expect to maybe be on the other side where it is focusing on some hot bitterness. Yeah. Um, that could be really fun to try maybe sometime on the show, maybe just drinking a beer. Yeah, I like it. That's a good point. We could run through some kind of darker German lagers, move to Schwartz beers and Dunkles mm, and yes. really just get lost in the the deep, dark, lovely world of, of dark lagers, dark German lagers. I could see that happening maybe in the winter sometimes, some Doppelbox, maybe an Icebox finally, and really get wild. <laughs> Bring, Bring your, your ice own picks. ice pick. Yeah, yeah. The the ice box and the Dunkelboss uh, twins. Mm-hmm. Look out. Um, so yeah, uh, yeah. But um, flipping back specifically to Bell's Oktoberfest, looking at it on Untapped, as we said, it's pretty well distributed currently, um, sitting at more than one hundred and three thousand total check-ins, uh, and almost three thousand this month. So it's as of recording. So this is uh. It's it's time to shine, um, and we were seeing it kind of. I mean, it's mostly stateside, but all over the country. You know, West Virginia, Illinois, Indiana, um, Minnesota, Pennsylvania. So it's getting you know some some love everywhere. Bells is uh, is enjoyed, um, and when it comes to friends of mine that have had it, I've had it two times prior uh, to this evening. Um, and yeah, I mean, uh, as of a couple minutes ago, see most, most recent check and actually it start there um, on Untapped was Ben K had it a second ago and um, seems to be enjoying it. A lot of people unlocking that Untapped at home uh, badge, which I need to work on. Um, but it's a uh, and then friends wise, yeah, a lot of my friends have had this thing recently. Um, Tom Crabtree enjoying it in a Bell's glass. Yep, I saw that on Untapped. Right. That was really cool. That's great. Doing it up. Um, but yeah, I mean, again, it's it's this style is designed to be very approachable. Matthew Golden, he has a, a stein of it, and he's enjoying it, giving it uh, a nice breakdown, a fine mouthfeel, enjoyable. Matthew um, Golden's awesome. His yeah. Untapped check-ins, like he has kind of his own rating system built right. into it as yeah. well. I think that's cool as heck. Yep, he's diving deep, which is great. That's very similar to what I used to do on Beer Advocate back in the day. Really, really get into it. And then for my own uh, personal check-in, I had it just a couple weeks ago. Um, and my <laughs> my really good two gulps. That was my comment. Two gulps gone. So that was... <laughs> the Oktoberfest beers come in the same bottle as all the rest of them, but there are only two good gulps know, in I, that I bottle. I know. It's almost, I'm trying to stop myself. I don't know how it disappeared so fast. Mm. Yes, I do. It's it's delicious. And it's, I'm having a hard time trying to. I know we've got a couple of things to cover, but I'm having no. a hard time saving enough of this beer. Right. And 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 if you're big into cooking or just like doing it every once in a while or whatever, um, Bell's they're awesome for the recipes, the clones of their beers. Kind of doesn't stop at the beer with them. They it's a whole experience when you enjoy a Bell's beer. It can be if you want it to be. They have recipe for apple cake. Um, or Apple Kuchin, I'm probably saying that wrong. All but, right, um, all right. Uh, on their website that includes Oktoberfest, their Oktoberfest in the recipe. So if you're hungry for some seasonal apple cake, Bell's has got the hookup. And then Bell's has always been well known for um, having homebrew kits of their beers. So 
Uh, if you like what Bell's is doing, you can make it yourself. And they've also been very open and transparent about kind of what makes their beers great, which is really cool. And no exception, no, no yeah, no exception here with the, uh, the Oktoberfest. You can get an all green recipe kit right from Bell's and brew this exact beer. If you can't get Bell's Oktoberfest yourself in bottle, you can make it uh, and have Bell's send you the ingredients right to your house. That's really so amazing. Cool. They did you can that, make you know? it Oktoberfest in December if you want. Sure. Like it, yeah. it should be a yeah. six month season. Whatever. That's right. It was it actually all year. It was ago. someone in the Facebook group that That's was right. just talking about how um, she had moved to, I think, literally a desert, but also mm-hmm. kind of a craft beer desert. Uh, and we were talking about home brewing. That's really cool. Bell's uh, is able to do that. We'll ship it to you. You can make it at home. Right. That's right, which is great. It's a tricky style. I mean, it's not too tricky, but it, it's a lager, and they have great notes on their, um, you know, when on the recipe and the instructions, kind of saying like, this is a this beer is a lager after after fermentation, prior to packaging. This beer should be lagered. You do this by lowering the temperature to as close to freezing as you can get, and hold it at this temperature for four weeks if you can wait that long. <laughs> and he says, and then package as normal. So. Accurate. Yeah. yeah, we'll dive a little more into that in a moment uh, with Beer 101. Um, but, uh, yeah, so that's the trickiest part, right, about homebrewing is waiting. But, again, if you do, it's it's usually worth it. And um, let's transition in here to some pretty big news from Untapped uh, over the last couple of yeah. weeks, getting ready to celebrate the 10th anniversary almost a month from now. It's hard to believe Untapped ten years old, right? How old, can I ask you how old your kids are on the air, Harrison? Yeah, right. Not that old. They're yeah. They're what are they? Six and four. That's correct. Perfect. They don't even know a world without Untapped. That's, <laughs> that's right. That's amazing. <laughs> that's um, all. You know. Any any of you fortunate enough to have been married for your ten year anniversary gift is aluminum. Mm-hmm. So um, I think that's kind of fitting, and also. It's great. Um, just, just a four pack of beers would be perfect um, for That's 10 right. years. That's it. So for Untapped Celebration, well, we've kind of set out to make kind of a, a special beer. And the name of it, I think, is great. Uh, Becca, who helps us with the podcast, actually helped come up with it called I yep. Remember My First Check-In. Perfect. That's going to be the name of the beer. Um, it'll be available hopefully anywhere. It's kind of a, a massive choose-your-own-adventure for breweries we're Mm. asking for a kettle sour hopefully with local fruit but there's there's already there's a bunch of breweries uh we've seen people from uh, brewers from russia uh i think there's a meadery in virginia that's going to try uh and and make a i remember my first check-in beer in this case mead or maybe even a braggot uh us uk brewers there's brazilian brewers so the coolest part about this is the recipe is available online. We'll put links in the show notes. Just mm-hmm. Go to untap.com forward slash 10, literally yep. one zero. Yep. Um, for more details. But if you're a home brewer, grab the recipe, make your own. If you're not a home brewer, but you got a really cool brewer, you know, near you, uh, yeah. share the link with them. And this is like, this is everyone's opportunity to kind of drink the same beer with a local touch on it. Um, and check it in. We're going to be promoting it. We're going to be spinning up a pretty cool live event where you get to see Harrison uh, in another uh, very Harrison suit. Mm-hmm. But I'm excited about it. I'm excited to see all the breweries that are participating. I want to put you on the spot before we jump into Beer 101, Good. Harrison. Yep. What brewery, 
would you reach out to on Twitter and ask, you know, hey, will you guys brew this beer? If you could, if you could influence any one of them. Well, I think it's pretty wild that Dogfish Head is doing it. Um, uh, but man, uh, so them aside, maybe Bells. Why not? I think they they do have a couple cool kind of fruited flamingo. There's a flamingo beer they do. There's what else do they do? That's but not tons I'd of love sours. to see them do it with like some Valentine cherries or what, right. uh, the, the the Michigan cherries they get up right. There. Right. I was gonna say so. That, that's what I was gonna get at. Right. Is that Michigan is so well known for for a lot of berries, whether it's cherries or, or well, cherries, strawberries, um, blueberries. So a lot of great fruit. Um, that may still be coming fresh up off the vine now. So yeah, why not have bells just grab some of that fruit and sour it up? That'd be that'd be amazing. Bells, if you're listening, which hopefully you are, yeah, uh, we're drinking your beer and and it's, it's, <laughs> it's, it's it, you didn't ask for the feedback, but it's good. I'm uh, I'll drink Oktoberfest until next September. Right. Um, if you're listening, we'd love it if you made that beer, share it with anybody that uh, that comes in, ask him for it. But let's let's get to the, the beer 101. This is going to be our eighth beer 101, which means we've got one more coming up, and then we're going to try and finish on the 10th episode in the series with something a little bit special. Mm. But where did we leave off last time, Harrison? Are we done yet? Nope. The journey of this beer continues. It's kind of like, right, like the... That old uh, made TV show from MTV where you follow some sad <laughs> person trying to graduate high school or whatever. Um, that was the one that happened in my hometown. Uh, some like sixth year senior. But this is different. This is not uh, this is not a person. This is the journey of the beer. And we, we left off with fermentation kind of bubbling along with promises of something happens next and we're going to dive into, you know, what that actually is um, right now. Perfect. Okay, so the last episode where we focused on Beer 101, we covered fermentation and yeast's job. We talked about yeast earlier, and, and then we kind of really dug in on what it's doing during fermentation. So right. here we are, Harrison. We've pitched our yeast. It's eating sugar. It's making beer. How do I know it's time to package. Uh, is there a sign I look for? What's, what's my, what's my next steps kind of after throwing the yeast in here? Sure. And so the way most breweries work, um, is that, you know, there's basically three teams of people. There's the brewers and their job is to actually make the beer rather, you know, make the wort and transfer that into the, um, cellar. Then there's, you know, We'll talk about a little bit today, the packaging team, which is in charge of actually filling cans and bottles and kegs with the beer. And in between the brewing team and the packaging team is the cellaring team, where a cellarman or a cellar woman is in charge of that beer uh, after it is brewed and before it is packaged. So and in charge of every kind of aspect of it. And at Neshemini Creek, we all had to do everything. We kind of rotated on shifts every other month. We'd change teams, which is really cool. And it's actually... Very unique. Most breweries do not operate like that. You're hired as a cellarman or as a brewer or as a packaging or as, you know, the uh, quality control person. Um, Chemony Creek was like, let's teach you everything, which I loved and um, I'm grateful for. So I got to be a cellarman a lot. Um, 
uh, while I was there. And, and it was everything. It was checking the temperature of the beer. It was lowering the temperature or raising it if you needed to. It was dry hopping. It was dropping yeast and repitching yeast. It was cleaning tanks. It was taking samples <laughs> of the beer. It's, it's really like the job that it's always, it was always a great day to be a cellarman because you knew you were going to be busy. It was going to fly by because you'd walk in and it's literally a list of things to do and they were all kind of fun and they all took you know 20 to an hour and a half to do so you kind of could move through them quickly and then a new thing uh would kind of land on your plate and you'd get to do that so um those are always really fun days uh to uh to be in the brewery um but so that's this is happening is a sellerman or seller woman is in there you know you have a sheet of targets you want to hit of steps to this beer needs to progress through the cellar before it becomes packaged numbers you want to hit, whether it's, you know, carbonation levels or it's clarity or it's just how it tastes. Um, we, we do like forest diacyl tests, which is diacyl's a off flavor in beer. And you can uh, test for the precursor of that. So the, the molecule that creates that off flavor, uh, you can find it in a beer before it's even packaged. So you, you do all kinds of things like that. Um, which is a lot of fun, but that's just going on. Is it's not just sitting in these tanks, bubbling along. Yes, that's happening, but you know, in between all that, lots of measurements being taken um, so that you know, okay, perfect. Now it's time to kind of move this beer into that next place, whether it be the bright tank to be packaged, a lagering tank. Maybe you're moving into some wood to to age that beer, um, but it all kind of happens in the cellar before it goes to that second to last stop uh, before it gets packaged. Okay. So if I understand that the cellarman is the coolest job at a brewery mm-hmm. um, or at least fun, I think that's really, and it's, and it's obvious and kind of talking to you through this beer one Oh one that you weren't focusing on just one thing for your career. So yeah. I'm happy to take advantage of all this <laughs> um, and hopefully it's fun to listen to. Yeah. Um, so we talked about, the beer's fermenting. There's a, a, a cellar person who's keeping an eye on, we'll say, the stat sheets. And when it looks right, then it's time to move. And you mentioned two things that sometimes in my head I, I, I can mix up interchangeably. You said the bright tank and the lager tank. So right. let's start with the bright tank. Sure. Is there a specific role with that? What's, what, what is a bright tank? Yeah, so that that's yeah, that's the last stop before that's the vessel you're going to keg out of, bottle out of, or can out of. Um, you can do that out of um, uni tanks, which are called universal tanks, short for universal tanks, uh, which a lot of breweries have. That you ferment in it, you can lager in it, you can also um, transfer out of it and, and can and keg out of it. So uh, that gives you some flexibility. But most breweries have bright tanks where their sole job is to transfer the beer there and carbonate it. Uh, that's really what the the job of the bright tank is, is to carbonate that beer before it is packaged. You can also, though, um, add like a lot of flavors. Like a lot of breweries will add coffee at that point um, or uh, other really aromatic things to the beer. You don't have to, but it is an, a point you can add adjuncts if you like, if you want that adjunct to really fill the nose of that beer doing it um, in the bright tank. Uh, it can work. Biofine, too, that's an agent that breweries use to clear up beers that don't need to be hazy. So that's an option. To, it helps drop particulate matter out of the out of suspension very fast. Um, so before you package, you can do that. But really, it's, it's where the beer is carbonated. And you kind of, in 
our brewery, we treated it like it was already packaged, meaning like you wanted that beer in that bright tank and out of it and packaged pretty much as quickly as you could logistically do it. Um, because at that point it was it's basically like a huge keg. You kind of want it in its final vessel um, as quickly as, as, as possible. So I can kind of move along and really so you can get that tank empty and fill with another beer and package something else. Like it was always, if there was a bottleneck, it was always the bright tanks. And I think we added like three the time I was wow. there just to kind of keep up with the man. So you could always be carving it's not, something. Right. It's not just like sitting in the bright, we'll come back and get it tomorrow. That's, yeah. Really. That's, it's like, get it in there and carb it up. And while you're carving it up, you start, you prime the canning line. Cause we're going to can it as soon as it's, at that carbonation level most of the time. Um, yeah, that's uh, so that's what the bright tank is. It really serves to carbonate, but it's that like last step before you you get that in a bottle or, or some kind of package. Okay, so honestly, great description of the cleanest sounding place in a brewery, um, the, the bright tank. So let's cover uh, lager tanks. We're mm-hmm. getting, we're, we're cellaring, we're lagering. Yes. It doesn't sound like I need a lager tank, but what do I get one for? Sure. And you don't. You absolutely do not need one. Um, There are a couple of benefits to it. And really the biggest benefit is if you are a brewery that makes a lot of lagers, um, it's probably wise for just kind of like capacity reasons to have them. Meaning if you put a beer in a tank and it sits there for a month, well, that means another beer can't be in that tank. So to have that fermenter, be empty because that beer is in a lagering tank and a new beer can be added to the fermenter. It just gives you more cellar space. That was kind of also always a battle of a growing brewery is, you know, we have this demand. We need this much beer in these many markets. We need to be moving through this stuff. So again, logistics kind of came into play there. We got four lagering tanks at once and lagering tanks are horizontal uh, ferment and fermenters basically. So if you imagine if you've been in a brewery before, seen pictures or whatever those large silver vessels kind of like a like a stainless steel ice cream cone where it's got a conical bottom and a kind of domed top where the beer is living that's a traditional uh, fermentation vessel it's kind of flipped that on its side uh, and you've got a lagering tank Um, and the reason for that the reason it's on its side um, is to help clear up that beer faster if you imagine you know a beer that you just is in a fermentation vessel and say a a 30 barrel fermentation vessel so a fermentation vessel that can hold 60 kegs of beer is like 20 feet high if that's got a lot of particulate matter in it that matter's got to drop 20 feet or so these the stuff at the top all the way to the bottom of that tank before it clears up where if you flip that tank on its side and now from the top to the bottom it's five feet and it's you know now 25 feet long then that it allows that matter to drop quickly from the top to the bottom because now you've shrunk the bottom to just five feet. So um, it just that's a real reason for it. It frees up cellar space, but also helps that logger clear up much faster because it's a much shorter trip for any kind of stuff you don't want in that beer and the final product to make to get it out of that tank to clear it out before you can uh, filter it or just transfer it into the bright tank at that point, which you would then keg and bottle and can from so it, it just yeah mm-hmm. it, it kind of makes me think of um i i say my wife because she plays these cell phone games all the time but i have before <laughs> as well like where you're like you're managing the restaurant and you're serving your customers and now you've got you just opened up a new section of your restaurant and there's 20 extra customers and right. I, I don't think this analogy is going to work but 
uh, it, it affords you as a, as a business, as a brewery, the ability to kind of move beer into this holding pattern without mm-hmm. slowing down your, your regular production. Yep. And, yeah. Um, real quick, uh, you also mentioned earlier wood. And yeah. for me, that's a really exciting part in, in those beers that I tend to enjoy sometimes the most. Mm-hmm. Um, I imagine putting your beer into a wooden barrel is less scientific, but, um, but what are, uh, how does wood come into play as you're kind of cellaring your beer? Yeah, so what people, a lot of beer fans see is like this romantic part of brewing where it's barrel work and we're putting a stout in a barrel and slow-mo pictures of wood and barrels. and You got it, yep. Yeah, all yep. that stuff. It is the worst. I mean, it's the worst <laughs> part of probably, of like the worst part of your job as a brewer uh, is is working with barrels. I mean, they leak they're expensive. They're really ex- extens- uh, extremely sensitive to like temperature changes. They can break. They can crack. Uh, they can get infected because they're porous. It's wood. So it's like all these different nightmares kind of coming together at any moment. Uh, they take a lot of work and a lot of water to clean. Um, and yeah, they're just kind of like these unpredictable things uh, on, on many, many levels. So uh, even like, you know, transferring out of them, it was tough to like, get pressure and pump speeds correctly and filter screens. Cause a lot of the times we get like fresh, fresh bourbon barrels that had chunks of wood in it. So you're trying to transfer a beer that doesn't have splinters. Uh, and like, yeah, then, someone's going right, to get upset. Right. So, <laughs> right. But to do that, you have to have a filter screen that if there's splinters in it is going to get clogged by the splinters. So you got to like stop and take it apart and re-sanitize everything and then put it back together ah. and do it again. Like it really can't become like, a, a horrible day where you walk in second shift and see like all the barrels out and just one angry brewer sweating in the corner that hasn't had lunch yet. Just kind of grumbling through it. Um, knowing, hoping you're not, you know, the sellerman on that day or assisting with the barrel master. <laughs> Cause that's not a fun day to be in charge of cellar work is when the barrels come out most of the time. So, um, I mean, um, that being said, like, obviously, these beers are amazing to drink. It is kind of a labor of love, and hopefully, uh, knowing this, you can appreciate it more next time you have it. A barrel aged imperial stout. Know that there was some guy who was you know, angrily created this beer for you, but in the, you know it had the best intentions, and that's you know why you do it. And don't walk out of the brewery and go, "Well, this is not for me." You know, well, you know what you you sign up for. Maybe not the first day, but after you you know after you do it once, you're like, "Got it." The barrel days are the days that I just need to prepare to be a little bit sore for the next week. Um, but that's, uh, you know, again, that's all part of it. They're amazing beers. They, you know, barrels are really cool. They're fun. They're they're tough to work with. But again, it's it's kind of like you get out what you put into it in, in some ways. Maybe not. Uh, maybe you put into it a little more than you get out of it. But you do get some cool things, you know, whether it's wild ales or, uh, again, bourbon barrel aged stuff. There's some fascinating things you can do with wood and beer. Um, and so I look back on it fondly, even though I know in the moment, a lot of those days, a lot of those days are just yep. me kind of like waiting to pull my hair out, but I did it. Yeah. I think that's some of the most rewarding work, you know, you got to yeah. treat a chop down, um, right. or maybe not jump to lumberjacking, but <laughs> sometimes those, those jobs that are just really difficult when you begin, uh, are so rewarding when you're finally done. Sure, yeah. I mean, every time we, you know, those days of bottling those beers were like very, it was a celebratory day in the brewery of, of like, 
you know, as soon as we bottled them, people were opening them and drinking them and like, oh yeah, we made it. Like for a while there, this could have ended up on the floor and nobody could have drank it, but it didn't. And it made it through and it, the barrel did what it was supposed to. And here we are enjoying it today. So those are some of my favorite releases. You're right down like the final product. Uh, you can kind of taste it, taste the hard work in it and know that like, it, you know, it's not easy getting wrangling that beer into the, the bottle uh, from the barrel. And it yeah, definitely makes it taste that much better. So we covered effectively how you know your beer's ready to move into packaging. We covered what the bright tank does, what the lagering tank does, and who the fun of aging in wood. <laughs> um, but I would I would tell you a, a thousand times over that the end is worth the trouble. I haven't actually gone through the trouble though, so there's an <laughs> asterisk. Um, before we wrap on the show, Harrison, I wanted to just try and take a second as we as we get closer to the end of season three, um, and just kind of take a second. We've had a bunch of beers together one really recently mm-hmm. um and ask you just a question about you and mm. um i know we're pushing time because we're doing these episodes weekly now but if you can just give me a minute or whatever's natural um my question for you is if you could live anywhere in the world mm-hmm. current time uh, uh where would you live okay current time right when well, we've joked about you know the the mountaintop brewery that's hidden away from the world <laughs> that you and I will one day in, have in a cave somewhere and not tell anyone about. Um, and that's nice and that will hopefully happen. But I've always been an, 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 like a, a, an island guy. Like, give me an island and that's it. And right now, that may be exactly what I, what <laughs> I want, just a spear and a bunch of fish and an island with some trees on it and some source of fresh water. Like, I don't, it doesn't need to be any more specific than that maybe not in the path of most hurricanes but i mean what i don't have much to lose there other than i guess myself but i i'll figure that out you know no house to worry about getting blown down i'm just living on the beach but that's always been um always been the the goal i guess or whatever i don't even call it a goal but a funny thing i see myself thinking about from time to time uh defaulting there if you will of basically just me like tom hasten castaway wearing some, you know, beaten up t-shirt as pants and spearing some fish in a bay somewhere and doing that like forever. That's, that's, I'm cool with that. <laughs> it, it, right. It sounds difficult, but it also sounds, I mean, that's your task for the well, day. I was going to say, uh, right. right? Kinda, catch right, a fish and right. your job is done. Don't catch a fish. And, right. Your job's well, still done. You're uh, just a little more it, hungry. You're right. right. Um, thanks go. for sharing that with me though, Harrison. <laughs> and I'm going to be envisioning living on an island with beer uh, until we see you guys next week where we're going to recap the episode next week is all about dry hopping dry hopping right that's a little joke about double dry hopping see what you Um, did there we're going to be celebrating bearded iris from nashville tennessee is bringing their beer out to north carolina for distribution and we're going to be drinking one of their very famous new england ipas on the show next week Thanks for listening through with us, Harrison. You want to finish it out? Yeah, of course. And as a reminder, this episode was brought to you by Untapped and the Untapped Store. Use the coupon code PODCAST to get 20% off your next purchase. That's the coupon code PODCAST. Uh, as always, show notes will be available at podcast.untapped.com. If you guys have any questions or feedback, please connect with Untapped on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram. 
You can find John and I on Twitter. You can find um, Drinking Socially on Twitter. We're at That Beer Podcast. Uh, connect with us directly on Facebook, the Drinking Socially group. That's facebook.com slash drinking socially. Other than that, we'll see you next week. Pros. Got him. You got me. (laughs) I jumped the gun. Good episode, Harrison.